Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I Wanna Be Your Sledgehammer Edition as the Bengals rally from a 17-0 deficit to pulverize Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, scoring 34 unanswered points in a 34-23 win. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays, one-on-one locker room interviews, and analysis from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Then, in this week's Fun Facts segment, we'll hear from the Bengals player whose first name means belonging to God in Hebrew, a name he was given after nearly dying in childbirth. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. Find both inside the Bengals app. Now, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since my friend and mentor, Sean McDonough. I was in Boston to broadcast the Fenway Bowl over the weekend and had the opportunity to have dinner with one of my closest friends dating back to our days as students at Syracuse University, ESPN Sean McDonough. If you conducted a poll of working play-by-play announcers, the people that do it for a living, and asked them to name the best in the business, Sean would be at or near the top of the list. Nobody in the industry combines humor and information better than Sean. My wife, Peg, describes him as the funniest person in any room that he's in. And that quick wit is on full display whenever he's behind the mic. But Sean has all the skills that make up a great broadcaster. He's an outstanding storyteller, understands strategy and can explain it to the viewer, has a flair for the dramatic, and always nails the big moments. I had some great professors at Syracuse, but I learned more from Sean than any of them. He's been a great mentor and an amazing friend. Now, let's get to the highlights from Sunday's epic comeback in Tampa. The official name for a baby goat is a kid. And that seems appropriate today here in Tampa, where the NFL's 45-year-old G-O-A-T faces a 27-year-old prodigy whose career is off to a remarkable start. It's Brady versus Burrow, the goat versus the kid. And it's time for the pigskin to fly here in Tampa. Bengals have it first and 10 at the 40 of Tampa Bay. First drive of the game for either team. Play action fake and a throw. It's deflected. And it is intercepted by Davis at the 30-yard line of Tampa Bay. The Buccaneers will go for it on fourth and goal from the one. Brady in the shotgun. Fournette motions from the QB's right to his left. Brady catches the ball. He's back to throw. He's looking. Throws toward the end zone. Caught for the touchdown in the back left corner of the end zone by Russell Gage. First and goal from the five as the Bucks look to add to their 10-0 lead. Brady takes the snap. Throws a screen out to the left. Godwin to the goal line. Touchdown, Tampa Bay. Three seconds left. So the half will end on this 41-yard field goal try by Evan McPherson. 
the snap. Crispin puts it down. McPherson's kick very yes. high, and it is yes. good. So the half comes to an end with the Bengals picking up some momentum. Trent Taylor back to return at the 23. Oh, fake. It's a fake, Get on and it. it blows nice. up on the Buccaneers. Nice. As the punt protector, Giovanni Bernard, had trouble fielding the snap. I think he was confused by it and had to fall on the ball. The Bengals are going to take over in the red zone. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers punt team is looking at each other like, what? Are you kidding me? Brady bouncing in the pocket. His throw intercepted nice. at the 31. Nice. Picked off by Trey, Trey Flowers, who <laughs> gets up and starts running it back. That's just to celebrate, though. I believe he was touched on the ground Brilliant after the pick. Field. Burrow catches the shotgun snap. Forced to scramble right. Running backward. Penalty flag down. Burrow way back Throw near midfield. And he gets sacked. Oh, my God. For a 26-yard sack all the way back to the 50. Devin White and Anthony Nelson bring down Joe Burrow. Let's see what the flag is. Holding defense. Yeah, defensive holding. Wow. Bailout. Woo, major league bailout. An automatic first down instead of a 26-yard sack. Burrow waiting for the snap from Karras. Joe has the ball. Fakes to Mixon. From the pocket, throws into the end zone. Yeah. Higgins running along the back line, makes the catch for the Bengals' touchdown. Brady tapping both sides of his helmet, points out where the middle linebacker is. Logan Wilson right over the center, started to come. Brady looking to throw, he's in nice. trouble. Wilson's got him. Nice. The ball comes out, and the Bengals grab it, it at the 13-yard line. They got line. it, yes. Third down and goal from the three, trailing by five points. 2.48 left in the third quarter. Burrow ready for the shotgun snap. Joe catches the ball from the 10, throws to the end zone. Boyd goes to the ground. Yes. He's got yes. it. Touchdown, nice. Bengals. Boyd with an emphatic spike as Joe Burrow delivers the touchdown pass on third down and goal from the three. He takes the snap. He'll hand it oh, off. Fournette fumbles the football. It bounces into the middle of a scrum at the 40-yard oh, line. Logan Wilson says they've got it. Von Bell says they've got it. The Bengals have it. Unreal. No. Burrow in the gun. Mixon to his right. Chase out to the left. Boyd out to the right. Burrow looking. His throw. Get caught it. by Chase. Heads for the end zone. Touchdown! Bengals! Joe Burrow with his third touchdown pass of the second half. And the Bengals have a chance to go up by 10. And they uh, and, and Jamar Chase ran right through Keon O'Neal. I mean, just ran right through him. Hooked up. Neal went to hit him. And Chase says, nah, baby, nah. Empty backfield for the Bucks. Shotgun snap. Brady retreats, looking left. Gets crushed as he floats oh. it downfield. The Bengals think it might be an interception. No. It, it, it hit the ground. It's an interception lap. They're it, ruling it an interception. Really? Is that Jermaine Pratt? Yeah, it's Pratt. Yep. It hit the ground. Oh, no, it didn't. I thought it hit the ground. It hit his arms. That's an interception, but he's touched right there. Burrow stomps his left foot. A receiver goes in jet motion. They fake it to Mixon. Oh, Burrow throws. Baby. Caught. Wilcox to the five, to the goal line oh. in his hometown. Mitchell <laughs> Wilcox scores a touchdown, and the Bengals put it away with 2.21 to go. Tom Brady threw a touchdown pass with 49 seconds to go to make the final score look a little more respectable for Tampa Bay as the Bengals won by 11, 34-23. to Prior to that game, when Brady had a lead of 17 or more points at home, his team's record was 89-0. You can update that 
to 89-1. and It was a remarkable turnaround. On their first four drives of the game, the Bengals had a tip ball interception followed by three straight three and outs. After each team had had the ball four times, the Bucks had outgained the Bengals 261-36. to But beginning with their two-minute drill at the end of the half, the Bengals' next seven possessions went field goal, field goal, touchdown, 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 punt, and then touchdown. T. Higgins scored the first of those touchdowns, and I talked to him after the game. T, what a comeback from 17-0 to 34 consecutive points. What was it like for you guys out there today? First half was tough, especially offensively. Um, defense, they, they was moving the ball on our defense. Um, you know, the, the first end, the first turnover and then the, uh, what was it, three or four, uh, three and outs, that hurt, that hurt bad. That's not who we are. Um, and then, you know, we came in at halftime, you know, talked it over, see what we had to do to, uh, to execute the game plan. We came out in the second half. We was able to do it. This team is really battle-tested, and, and it showed. You had a touchdown catch. Tyler had a touchdown catch. Jamar had a touchdown catch. Mitchell Wilcox had a touchdown catch. Just a, a great example of all of the weapons this team has and Joe uses. I want to say that's the first time I know uh, all three of us had a touchdown in one game. Um, then Mitch coming home to his hometown, scoring, man, that's that's amazing. Um, but, yeah, man, Joe was able to find us all and, you know, put us in a great position to score. Was it amazing to be on the sideline when the defense was taking the ball away from Tom Brady and that offense four straight times in the second half? Yeah, man, it, it, it was crazy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting on the sideline, like, trying to, you know, trying to catch my breath and stuff, you know, from the previous drive. And the next thing you know, we back on the field. I'm like, oh, all right, they got to go back out there. Uh, but, you know, hats off to the defense, man. Going out there and get four turnovers, you know, on you know one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback to do it, um, is you know it's amazing. Brady was hot early. Did you just figure we just have to stick with it? Eventually, we'll get going. Yeah, man, we just had to stick to our plan, uh, who we are, and man, it, it all played out perfectly for us. You know, defense came in, came came big, um, and you know our offense was able to go out there and um, you know score, and we played complimentary football that second half, and it showed. Six straight wins, solo possession of first place in the AFC North. How does that sound? Sounds good, man. <laughs> but uh, it's still, it's still a lot, a lot more work to do. We got a tough team coming, coming up there in uh, Foxborough. Um, so we got to go out there and you know do what we do and, and execute the game plan next week. Appreciate your time as always. Thanks, T. Thank you. Joe Burrow finished 27 for 39. That's 74 percent for 200 yards with four touchdowns, one pick, and a passer rating of 104.6. Brady threw for 312 yards and three touchdowns, but he had two interceptions and lost two fumbles with a passer rating of 92.2. One of his interceptions came after he got leveled by Joseph Osai. Dave Lapham caught up with him in the locker room. Defensively, what did you guys talk about at halftime? Was it just cleaning a couple things up to make big adjustments what was the deal at halftime you came out in the second half and suffocated them we did exactly what we talked about turnovers wins games and um at the end of the half there our offense was rolling so we knew they're finally you know when they get their rhythm going they're unstoppable so our goal was to get them the ball whether it's with stops turnovers and um it just so happened it was turnovers five possessions in the second half. first five possessions two interceptions two fumble recoveries they botch a punt um, where, you know, it goes down as a fourth down stop, but that's another possession that doesn't end with a kick. 
five straight possessions. Have you ever been part of that? I've never seen that. I never, I never have, and that's just great. Um, that's that's kudos to, to Coach Lou, the coaches, figuring out what we need to get adjusted. That's the that's kudos to the players listening to that and executing it. You know, I'm just, you can call whatever you want, but if the players don't go execute, it's nothing. So that's uh, that's the whole team defense, and good job to us bunkering down and settling down as a family. Once again, um, next man up. You guys have done it all year long. Uh, there were guys, Sam had an injured, injured calf. You got Hendrickson, you know, that has, has the broken wrist. On the back end, defensive players are, are going down to injury, and Cam Taylor-Britt goes down with a shoulder problem. You know, everybody just steps up and, and assumes an additional role, expands the role. What is it about this football team where everybody just has that mindset? It's, it's because we care about each other so much, and when you see a guy go down, um, you don't want that guy to be down, so you, you, you want to play for him. You want to step up for him. You want to make him have peace of mind that, you know, just because he's out, he's not letting the team down. So um, that's just what it, what it speaks to, just um, the love we have for each other, wanting to play for each other. The next guy knows that. And if a guy goes down, we, he knows um, that he has that peace of mind that we have his back. This defensive football team and team in general, is it the closest you've ever been around? Absolutely. And uh, we just keep getting closer every day through, um, and it happens through battles like this, you know what I mean? Things didn't, things aren't always going to go your way, and um, obviously things didn't go our way, and we were able to gel together, and that just, you know, adversity builds bonds, and that's exactly what it's done today. Heck of a job out there, man. And I know it's not easy playing with what you're playing with, and a bunch of you guys are toughing it out. I mean, it's that time of year, December football. Everybody's beating up a little bit, right? December football, baby. You got to buckle down. Yes, sir. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Paycor. More than 29,000 customers trust Paycor to help them recruit, pay, engage, and retain employees. Learn more at Paycor.com. As you heard in the highlights, the Bengals' final touchdown was scored by Tampa native Mitch Wilcox, who also played college ball in Tampa at the University of South Florida. How awesome was it to score your first NFL touchdown in your hometown where you played your college football? It's pretty dang cool. You know, it was a great moment. You know, try to spike it as absolute hard as I could. Um, I think it went in the stands, and, I, and we're not getting it back, but that's all right. When did you know you were going to be one of the coin toss captains today? Uh, you know, Zach told us shortly before the game, me and uh, Kappa, and, you know, just. Really, really cool for as a gesture for me to walk out there, you know, just being Tampa Bay native and, you know, uh, and it was awesome, awesome moment. Who is here to watch? Uh, 60 plus, 60, 70 plus. So, a lot of people, friends and family, great, great support, um, you know, just unbelievably thankful for them. Describe the touchdown. It looked like a very well-conceived play for that situation. Yeah, I know, kind of a late leak. Um, you know, we've been running, running a lot of run plays where I stick out on the defensive end, and you know, um, a late leak design, late leak, and uh, Joe put it on me and ran, ran for the rest. So, is there a ball in that locker somewhere? There is. Yep, definitely. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Just to clarify, Mitch didn't get the ball after his touchdown catch because his spike bounced into the stands, but. He was given a game ball by Zach Taylor. Speaking of Zach, he spent four minutes with Lap after the game. I've never seen anything like that. Five turnovers, in the, well, two interceptions, two fumble recoveries, and then the, the botch, which goes the blown fourth down, but doesn't end in a kick. 
Five possessions in a row, crazy. Yeah, great job by our defense, special teams. Great job by our offense finishing off those drives. It was really, you know, at halftime, we were down 17 to three. There's no panic. There's a sense of calm, knowing that we're going to have plenty of opportunities. And we just went out there and created them, really. And, and really proud of the job that the coaches and the players did there in the second half. I think 31 points on about 150 yards offense, because like you said, the short fields, but you finished it. You know, you took advantage of it and, and uh, just, just flipped it, flipped that football game. Yeah, that's just the, take, take advantage of the opportunities you're given. And it's not always going to be pretty. This is a team that, that won a Super Bowl, you know, two years ago. And um, they've still got a lot of those players. They know how to win. They're a tough team. They could very well win their division and make a run in the playoffs on their side. And uh, so for us to come down here and, and handle some adversity on the road, uh, really proud of the effort of our guys. December football, Sam injures that calf during the course of the game. Cam Taylor Britt with some sort of a shoulder injury during the course of the game. But guys, as they've done all year for you, next man up, guys step up, expand their role. Yeah, that's just the expectation. Nobody wants to be the weak link. When guys' opportunities are, are called upon, they take advantage of them. Um, this, the, our roster is really strong right now from top to bottom. We got belief in everybody. And so I was really proud of those guys that had to step up. So offensively, what, I mean, Joe Burrow throws four touchdown passes in the second half. I mean, what, do you, what are you most proud of, though, about your football team? Like, like you said, there was no panic. It was all poise, all composure. Is that a contagious thing? I, I think uh, our defense and special teams made some great plays to put us in position. Offensively, we stayed calm. They threw a lot at us. We solved the problems as it came to us. And when the receivers got the balls in their hands, they made the plays that we needed them to make. And that was, that was critical to get a win like this on the road. What did you say to your football team at halftime? Was it, was it poise, composure, calm at halftime as well? That we had not played up to our standards, and we were going to get plenty of opportunities in the second half. And it was going to start with our defense coming out strong to get us some momentum, and that's exactly what they did. How big was that field goal drive that you went on right before halftime to go in with a little bit of momentum? It was good. We just hadn't had a first down in seemingly forever, and since the first drive, really. And so we just needed to feel that momentum a little bit. Um, so that, that was good to get those points on the board before halftime. The first drive, you hadn't faced third down. You're moving the ball on first down. They tip a damn thing, and another tip ball interception. It's crazy how many of those have occurred. But, I mean, it, you were slicing and dicing them pretty good there in that first drive. Yeah, we had a good rhythm, and that's just going back to getting the first first down. Once we get that first first down, we're rolling. Um, we went four straight three and outs after that, and that causes a little bit of problems for the offense. And then the defense has got to go right back out there, you know, and that, that probably aided in some of the struggles that they had. And coach, finally, uh, first place. You have a you have a game lead now with three games to play. Doesn't change the way you approach anything. It's one and all as many times you can go one and all, right? Yeah, we, we're just going to worry about putting together a great plan, going on the road in a tough environment, and so we'll we'll take a quick nap on the plane and get ready for a short week here. The Raiders ended up coming back and beating the Patriots. Uh, that's uh, that's 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 pretty interesting. But as we know, Bill Belichick, that's an opportunistic football team. I think they have. I think they've scored on five returns or something. I mean, typical of what they're about up there, I guess. Yeah, they play really good team complimentary football. And I've seen them win on a punt return. I've seen them win on defensive touchdowns. So i uh, played them enough times to know that you got to be at your best and, and be ready to go in a tough environment. Um, all that matters is what we, what we do next. We don't have to worry about anybody else. We just got to focus on ourselves and, and have a chance to put this one quickly behind us and refocus on, again, a tough road opponent next week. As Lap mentioned, next week's opponent, New England, lost to the Raiders, and it was on one of the craziest final plays in NFL history. Here's how Bob Sosi called it 
on the Patriots radio network. Now on a third and ten, three seconds left. Jones will give it to Stevenson. He started right. He runs it up the middle, hit by Chandler. Jones slips the hit across the 45 with a stiff arm. Off a tackle at the 40. He lost the football. And Jacoby Myers picks it up. He circles back and he throws it across the field. Oh Jones God. is picked up by Chandler Jones. He breaks away to the 30. He runs to the 20. He runs to the 10. He runs to the end zone. Unreal. Touchdown. Come on. Raiders. Good night. This might be one of the dumbest teams I've ever seen. That final dig came from former Patriots quarterback Scott Zolak. A Boston Globe headline called it the dumbest play in the history of the Patriots, who are now 7-7. Seven and seven. New England is the eighth playoff seed in the AFC, and keep in mind, only seven teams get in, so the Bengals will be facing a desperate opponent in Foxborough. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Altafiber, future-proof fiber internet capable of delivering multi-gigabit speeds designed to take your home, business, and community to a new level. Elevate your connection with Alta Fiber. Now, time for the Radio Guys recap. Lap, I don't know it for a fact, but I'm thinking that is the first time in Tom Brady's 23 NFL seasons that a defense took the ball away from his offense four straight times an unbelievable performance by the Bengals defense. I don't think I can, I don't remember ever seeing four consecutive possessions at any level turn the ball over. I, I really can't remember seeing that. Maybe I have, maybe it's happened, but particularly with an offense that's being led by that guy, I mean, you don't expect that. And then the, the fifth possession was a botched kick, a botched punt that, you know, they ended up. Uh, messing up a call and the thing ricochets off Giovanni Bernard's helmet and that doesn't end. That possession ends without a kick, a punt, uh, extra point of field goal. So, I mean, five possessions in a row. It's mind-boggling. It really is. Never seen it before. I'm scrambling to look at my own notes. Here we go. The Bengals had the ball six times in the second half. Their average drive start was the Tampa Bay 37-yard line on six possessions. It's crazy. I mean, what they have like a little over 150 yards offense um, with the with the, the scores that they had in those five turnovers, those five possessions. I mean, it, it's uh, it's absolutely crazy. And they left some points on the field too. You know, I mean, um, but I think the field goal was big right before the half just to get a little bit of momentum, you know, move the ball some, see a first down happen because they had three or four, three and outs in a row. And they just couldn't they couldn't get in rhythm. That got them in rhythm a little bit. And um, halftime, I was asking people, you know, what was talked about at halftime. Totally poised, composed. Nobody was losing their mind. It was just, look, you know, we know what we can do. Let's just take advantage of our opportunities. And the defense gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. It was absolutely nuts. Not a huge yardage game for Joe Burrow, partly because they didn't have to go that far to score touchdowns, but four touchdown passes all in the second half, and nothing came easy. I'll give the Bucks credit. When it got into the low red zone, they were really tough, but Joe managed to find guys to score. They did. They did a good job. Their defensive backs were very, very physical. Ten yards in the ten-yard area coming off the line of scrimmage, even in the five-yard area, I mean, you're allowed to put your hands on, on, on receivers. So they would do it past the five-yard area, but then they'd pull off. And the officials weren't looking until the very end, so they weren't calling it. And I had to be frustrating to Jamar Chase and other guys, T. Higgins. And I mean, it, it, it's ridiculous the advantage that they allowed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defensive backs to, to, to have 
and credit them, it wasn't being called, so they continued to do it, and they did it over and over and over again, and they were taking, um, you know, taking some plays away from Joe Burrow and his wideouts, no doubt. I mentioned to Jamar Chase that it was quite the duel between he and Carlton Davis, and I must have given Davis a little bit too much credit because <laughs> uh, Joe was having no part of that considering what he felt were the number of times he was held. Yeah, I mean, Jamar, was, was, he was grabbed, and I will say, though, <laughs> that Davis is a physical guy to be able to, you know, even if you do grab Jamar Chase, he usually just overpowers you. Um, but they they had a plan, and they stuck to it. Their defensive backfield coach and their defensive coordinator was like, look, let's do it. If they call it every once in a while, so be it. You know, we, we'll probably come out on top. I don't think they called it once. I don't remember a defensive holding call like that that should have been called when they were grabbing guys uh, during the course of the route like that. But you know, I think now uh, that can all be sent to the league office for review, and hopefully, you know, they'll be warned about it and look for it and all those kind of things. So I don't think it's going to be something they're going to have to deal with week after week because basically it's illegal. <laughs> they got away with it. So this team started 0-2. They were 4-4 and when they got their rear ends kicked on Monday Night Football in Cleveland. Now they're 10-4 and and alone in first place in the AFC North with a lot of confidence and a lot of momentum. Six wins in a row is, like we talked about before when it was at five, it's hard to do at peewee level. In the NFL, it's really, really hard to win six in a row. And I think it's harder to win six in a row in November and December because that's when teams are figuring out who the playoff teams are and they start to play a different brand of football. And, and um, they, they start to get in, in a rhythm and a sync a little bit better. They just and Teams improve. I mean, it, the, most teams are a different football team in November than there in September and sometimes it's due to getting guys back from injury and teams get worse you know lose players to injury but this football team has been able to just stay, stay on a very nice even keel continue to improve their graph went up every single week and here they are playing their best football at a great time. Let's talk about the injuries. Sam Hubbard hurt his calf he exited the locker room in a walking boot probably precautionary but nonetheless Hendrickson's out with a wrist injury. Hubbard's at least was out today with a calf injury. Uh, Mike Hilton had a pretty aggressive pregame warm-up, so that bodes well for him. But they've got to try to survive uh, some time here without some of the really good defensive players. Yeah. Jalen Davis, a broken thumb, he didn't play. Trey Hendrickson, broken wrist, he didn't play. I will give Tyler Boyd a lot of credit. Playing with that dislocated finger, it had to be very painful because it was not your, you know, your ordinary dislocation. It was a compound where the bone came out of the skin and now they're worried about infection they have to surgically put it back into place and um he was blocking and trying to he was keeping that hand out of there but doing a good job blocking with one hand that dude is a tough guy and a hell of a football player and i know uh his teammates and his coaches really respect and appreciate what he gave him out there and that's that's what this football team is about to me when i look at guys that step up and the next man up kind of thing i don't want to be the guy i don't want to be the guy that lets this team down so they're playing at such a high level for individually, collectively, every way they can. I expected more giddiness when I got to the locker room after rallying from 17 down against Tom Brady. It was pretty businesslike considering uh, the, the nature of this game. Yeah, I think, I think they were a little bit hacked off about the way they played in the first half and, and um, rectified it. But it was like, that's what we should have been doing. You know, it was almost like, this is what we expected. This is what we anticipated. Maybe we arrived at it in a different way. But, um, you know, we have, we have other games to win, and this is just one of them. 
So they beat Brady. Now they try to beat Belichick on Christmas Eve. The killer bees, Brady and Belichick. And Belichick is he is a different breed of cat boy. He will have an off, a defensive game plan that will look totally different than anything the Bengals have seen all season long. He just, at this stage of the year too, particularly November and December, when you're playing for playoffs, I mean, in September and even into October, he's still seeing what his team can and can't handle. But then once he realizes and determines what they can, how much they're capable of consuming, man, he will throw everything at you. And uh, it's really going to be a challenge for this offense to recognize, communicate, and get on the same page. It will be a short week for both teams since next week's game is on Saturday. That's Christmas Eve. Finally, it's time for this week's Fun Facts interview, where we get to know the person under the pads. Time for some fun facts with Bengals offensive lineman Lael Collins. Let's start with your first name, L-A apostrophe E-L. Share the story of what it means and why you were given that name. So my name means, it's Hebrew. It means belonging to God. Uh, we have an L tradition in my family. Um, everybody's name starts with an L, except my brother because he's a junior. And, uh, you know, my, my mom and my grandmother uh, came up with it. I read that it was attached to a difficult childbirth. Well, when I was born, um, I came out with the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck. And, uh, you know, doctor was, the doctors were just amazed that, you know, how I was still functioning right and breathing. And um, But they quickly got that from wrapped around my neck. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a great day. It was my mom's birthday, so it was a special day. Your mom sounds like quite a character and a remarkable woman. Describe her and some of the things you got from her. She is a wonderful woman. Um, you know, I, I can't be more thankful for being raised by such a, a strong woman. Um, I mean, she taught me, um, you know, what hard work looked like just through her actions. Each and every day, you know, working however many jobs it took just to take care of me and my, my brother and my sisters. And, you know, she did a fantastic job. And now she's retired, and I get to take care of her. Lael, in reading up about you a little bit, I'll admit this caught me by surprise. You are an Eagle Scout. Yes, Typically, I think of like a punter from BYU <laughs> being an Eagle Scout, but that's not easy. You've got to earn 21 merit badges. You have to do a service project. Is that a big point of pride for you? Absolutely, because, you know, during that time, um, that was like the first thing I was kind of a part of before I got into sports. And my mom, she just kept us involved in different things to, you know, just give us some, some exposure and, you know, just try to per, put our kids in the best um, best position to win. And, you know, as I got older, I kind of, you know, uh, I was kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to continue to do this. Mom. I want to just focus on sports, but she made me stick with it. And, you know, I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. Um, it's a big accomplishment. Do your teammates and coaches know? Um, I don't I don't know. I'm not sure, um, but it's, it's, it's definitely out there. We're doing fun facts with Lyle Collins. You're a big man, 6'4", 314 pounds on the roster. Were you always that kid who dominated over, you know, everybody in the back of the class photo? Uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, I was always the big kid in the class, and 
I didn't realize I was always the big kid in class until, you know, we used to have to line up from shortest to tallest. And <laughs> then I started to realize, you know, I was at the back of the line every time. <laughs> so. You're from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yes, you stayed home to play college ball for LSU. Was it a childhood dream to be a Tiger? It, you know, honestly, um, I didn't grow up like a big football fan mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, you know, I started playing football, which is it's a great story. I had a little cousin by the name of Pee Wee. That's what we called him as his nickname. And he was the smallest guy in the class. So one day he came up to me and he asked me if I wanted to play football. And I was like, yeah, you know, love to play football. Um, we used to always play outside for PE, but I never knew anything really about it. And, um, you know, I went out there for my first practice. I'll never forget the first time I did a drill, I got hit in the stomach. And I was like, whoa, if this is what football is, I don't know if this is for me. And then, you know, my coach kind of told me, like, hey, you got to get 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 low, you know, low man wins. And, uh, you know, I quickly figured that out. And, you know, it's something that, you know, changed my life all the way from just my little cousin asking me if I wanted to play football. And now here I am, you know, I don't even know how many years years ago that was, but – here I am, and, you know, I'm very fortunate to be able to be in this position. So the Bengals have your cousin Pee Wee to thank for you <laughs> wind up uh, being a football player. When you were in high school and in college, you blocked for former Bengals running back Jeremy Hill. He turned pro a year before you did, and I read that while you were still at LSU, you came up here to visit him while he was with the Bengals. What do you remember about the visit, and did it feel like you were coming full circle when you joined Cincinnati this year? Absolutely. You know, I, I remember just, you know, being super excited for my buddy. You know, I was there the day he got drafted to the Bengals, and I just remember the, the, the moment of joy, excitement, and everything like that. And coming up here to visit him and just remember how cold it was. <laughs> I think it was probably the coldest place I had ever been at the time. And uh, they were playing Jacksonville. And I was sitting right by the tunnel, actually. Um, and, you know, I seen him bust a long run right up the right sideline. And he took it to the house. And, you know, it just it gave me, you know, a, a very great feeling because, you know, I, I mean, I remember walking in, um, you know, my eighth grade year. Well, going into my ninth grade year, my eighth grade summer. Um, and he was already, you know, working out and everything like that. And I remember going to work, going to work out with him, and he was benching more than me at the time. <laughs> and I was struggling with the weight, and he was helping me out. And you know, just over time, you know, um, you know, it was just you know, it's, it's, it's a very special thing because when I look back at it, you know, I, I never in a million years would have thought I would have been playing here, and here I am. And you know, I'm, I'm, this is this is a great place to be. What was the best part about your college experience at LSU? I would have to say, you know, it's so many great, great things that um, that I experienced in college. Um, but, you know, going to the national championship my freshman year, uh, that was a one of the one of the best experiences um, coming straight out of high school, going, joining the LSU Tigers and, you know, not even playing much. I played I played a little bit my freshman year, but. You know, in, in that type of game, in that type of environment, just to see, you know, what that did for the city, what that did for the team, and you know, just how excited everyone was, and 
you know, winning the SEC championship that year, you know, it was it was special. And unfortunately, we didn't win the game, but you know, I learned a lot from that whole process. And you know, it, it was special, especially because it was right there at home in New Orleans. So, you know, literally an hour away from where I grew up at, and all my family was there. And it was just, I'll never forget that moment. We're visiting with L. Collins. For many NFL players, the draft is one of the best days of their life. In your case, it was a nightmare. You're expected to be a first-round pick. Shortly before the draft, it came out that the police wanted to talk to you about a murder victim that you happened to know. You weren't a suspect. Your name was totally cleared. But the timing was such that you didn't get picked. Can you describe what you and your family went through? It's it's one of those experiences where, you know, every day I kind of look back at that moment in time in my life and just wonder, like, you know, what life would be hadn't that happened, you know. Um, because shortly after, you know, I went to Dallas and, um, um, you know, I had, a, I, I had a great experience. And, you know, I was able to meet my girlfriend now and, um, you know, we had two beautiful kids, and you know, you know, you just think about, you think back at times like that, and you just kind of like just wonder, like, where would life, what would life look like? You know, what would life look like without my two beautiful kids? And and I wouldn't trade it for the world. And you know, as I got older, you know, I've grown to just understand that things happen in life that you can't control sometimes, and you know, you just have to figure out what it is that, you know, this experience is trying to teach you. Um, and it really just opened up my, my eyes to just life and things that, you know, I mean, a 21-year-old could never even imagine. I mean, at that time, you know, it's like your life is just getting started. You know, you work so hard. I went back my senior year, you know, just to solidify myself as the best tackle in football. And, you know, I, I accomplished a lot of great things that year as well. And, you know, just to go through that process and have it all taken away, um, it was it was uh, definitely a nightmare. But you know, here I am now um, in my eighth season, and you know, I, I just thank God for everything that I've been through, everything He's prepared me for. I feel like you know, mentally, I've been able to just tap into a whole nother level that I didn't even know that was there, and you know, um, I learned a lot. You spent the last seven years with the Dallas Cowboys. They're called America's team for a reason. What was your experience like in Dallas? It was great. Um, from the moment I got there, just, you know, meeting with Jerry, meeting with uh, the whole organization, having my family there, and, you know, it, it just was amazing. I really didn't even understand, um, like, what it was truly like to be on one of the you know, one of the best organizations in the world, you know, Dallas Cowboy. Um, and, you know, it, it, I can't thank, you know, the Jones family enough for giving me that opportunity because, I mean, when you come out of a situation like that, um, it's not a lot of people that will stick around, and, you know, whether, you know, they know who you are or not, you know, and Mr. Jones embraced me in my situation, um, my family, and spent seven years there and, you know, it gave me opportunity to, you know, do a lot of great things and and I'm forever grateful for that and, you know, I, I, you know, I, I can't thank them enough. 
You became a free agent this year and signed with Cincinnati, and you have been reunited with your first NFL offensive line coach, Frank Pollock. It seems like there is a tremendous mutual respect between the two of you guys. Why is that the case? He was my offensive line coach um, in Dallas my first three years, and um, he was there every step of the way from the beginning. You know, he he was a great coach. He's still a great coach, um, and I mean, he taught me pretty much everything I know. And, you know, I feel like, you know, when you come into the NFL and you have a coach like that, you know, it it not only, you know, prepares you to have a great year, but I feel like it prolongs your career in the NFL because everything he taught me has gotten me up to this point. And, you know, I continue to learn each and every day. I'm happy to be back with him and be up under him and, and learn everything that I can. And, I mean, he... He does it, you know, better than anybody I've been around. You know, as an offensive line coach, I think he's the best O-line coach in the league. All right, a few wild card topics now to wrap things up with La'El Collins. How difficult is it to catch a 7-foot-long, 250-pound shark? (laughs) Oh, man, it's a back burner, you know. (laughs) Um, It it definitely had my arms locking up. you know, it, but it was fun. You know, it was it was a great time. I was with you know some of my former teammates, and you know it was something that we did every year. And you know it was it was it was a great great time, great memories, great camaraderie with the guys. Frank Pollock calls you a glass eater, but one article described you as a lovable teddy bear. <laughs> Is that accurate off the field? Absolutely. You know, I'm a you know on the field. You know, it's all about just getting the job done and doing it at a high level. And, um, you know, off the field, you know, you know, you can't be all just game time ready, you know. So, <laughs> you know, I get to just enjoy my life and, you know, enjoy the people that's in it, enjoy the people that's been here for me throughout this whole time and and just really, you know, um, be thankful for what I have. You know, I'm a guy that, you know, came from nothing, um, you know, and I just watched my mom work very hard, and you know, I, I caught on at a young age, and I understood if she can work this hard, I could work even harder. And um, you know, I, I just couldn't be more thankful for where I'm at. Are you a bit of a shopaholic? And if so, what do you like to spend your money on? Um, well, as I, you know, I've been through stages where, <laughs> you know, there's things I like to buy, um, and you know, I've. Now I'm, I'm at a point to where, you know, I feel like just because I have money, you know, um, you know it's, it's good to, to invest and, and, and do things like that. But if I'm out shopping, you know, I like to, I like to dress nice, obviously, so I like to buy nice clothes. Uh, you know, at one point, <laughs> a few years ago, you know, I was, I, was, I was able to have enough money in my accounts to buy me some, some nice cars and, I got. I like to collect classic cars, mm-hmm. old school cars. You know, I have a 1963 Corvette Stingray. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a '69 Camaro. I have a '72 Chevelle. Um, and, you know, I have a few more other um, classic cars. I'm a big cars guy. You know, my grand my granddad he was big on cars and toys, so I like those type of things. And you know, I also have a Great financial advisor, Latavius. He's he's great. Um, he's really gotten me involved into um, investments and 
I bought my first movie this year. Uh, I can't say the name. Uh, and then, you know, I've, I've got a few real estate projects going, and, you know, I have a trucking company that I've been, you know, owning for about seven years now. So, you know, there's a lot of great things. Uh, the biggest thing is, you know, setting myself up for life after football and making sure my family is taken care of and making sure mom never has to work another day in her life. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for that, and I, that's con- that's what continues to push me. My dad has passed away, but you would have been his favorite Bengal because he <laughs> loved classic cars. Who is your all-time favorite athlete in any sport and why? Ooh, that's a tough question. You know, it's a lot of it's been a lot of great athletes um, that I've watched over the years. Probably my sisters because they were all athletic. Um, I got to watch one of my sisters run track in college, which for me it was like wow. Like she's on a big stage. Like all these people are here watching her run, and you know that was great. And you know my oldest sister, she was a track runner. She was always fast. You know, it wasn't until I was able to I got to high school to where I was able to kind of, you know, run where they couldn't catch me. But I always needed a head start because they were always <laughs> fast. And, uh, you know, outside of that, outside of that, you know, you know, my siblings, you know, I would probably say Jarvis Landry. Um, hmm. He's he's probably one of my favorite receivers, one of my favorite teammates I ever had uh, in college. And, you know, he's he's did very well for himself in the NFL level and, I was just thought he played the game like an offensive lineman. Just he was tough, physical. Um, he made the the great catches, uh, you know, all around, all across the board. And you know, he he was just always super, just you know, just a great football player. And you know, I think uh, his energy. You know, I watched a lot of teams feed off of that energy, and you know, he's definitely one of my all-time favorites. Final question, and this is kind of deep. Mm-hmm. If you could meet anybody in history, who would that person be? I guess I would go back into, like, all the way to the beginning to where, like, my family, like, really came from mm-hmm. and um, the roots and just, like, I wish I could just go back and just see all the generations and see, you know, everybody that's, you know, that – part of my, 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 my family chain. Um, I think that would be pretty cool um, because I hear my mom always talk about, like, her grandparents and, um, you know, her aunties and things like that that, you know, I never got a chance to meet. And so probably, you know, all the way from the beginning, my family tree. It's a great answer. Tells all of us what your family means to you. Yeah. I really appreciate your time. Best of luck the rest of the year. I appreciate it. Hooday. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, presented by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals. By Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. By Paycor, the official HR software provider of the Bengals. And by Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet. Elevate your connection with Alta Fiber. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horn, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.